The title of this morning's message is Labor to Enter into His Rest. This morning I want to continue to talk to you about entering into the best rest. The rest that comes from placing our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and His finished works and even more specifically in His Word to us. Today is somewhat of a review of the last time I ministered, but some things are so good and so important that we need to receive them over and over and over again so that we can enter into our rest of faith here and now. When the Lord told me to go back into Hebrews 4, I was like, what? <laughs> we just did that. Lord, and he was like, go back. Are you sure about that, Jesus? <laughs> go back. <laughs> so you follow as best you can, but it's really nice for God to show up ta-da, and say, see, you heard just fine. <laughs> and he does that for us. He loves to confirm that we have heard him, and he loves to say, yes, yes, child, you hear, you believe, you follow, it's all good. <laughs> so in chapter 4 of Hebrews, the author tells his readers how to enter into the rest of faith. And that's by choosing to hear and to pay attention to the voice of the Holy Spirit. And then the author also warns his readers yet a third time to be careful <laughs> not to harden their own hearts if they want to enter into the life that God had promised for them. So it was about choosing to hear and choosing to pay attention and choosing not to ignore what they hear the Lord say. We can see this beginning in verse 7. I have it in the New King James. Again, he designates a certain day, saying in and through David, today, <laughs> today, after such a long time, it has been said, today, if you will hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. In other words, don't ignore him. <laughs> Sometimes we're not sure, God, is that you? Or is it God, is that me? <laughs> I'm not ignoring, just qualifying. <laughs> and he is happy to confirm his word to us. But ignoring God's voice, when we recognize it as God's voice, that's when hardening comes. When we go, I heard you, and I'm going to say, talk to the hand. <laughs> I don't like what you're telling me. I'm just going to ignore that for now. I have done that on occasion. As a young Christian, I actually avoided the sanctuary for like six weeks because God was telling me to do something I did not want to do. And so I knew I was in disobedience and I didn't feel like I could go to church and sit in the sanctuary in disobedience. <laughs> so I volunteered for nursery for six weeks. <laughs> and finally he says, when are you going to learn? I see you just as well in the nursery as I see you in the sanctuary. <laughs> you still hear me no matter where you sit. <laughs> but I knew I was not being responsive to his voice to me. And I didn't like it. I didn't like it. So it is because we purposely harden or purposely ignore or purposely put aside what God says to us, the heart can become dull or hardened. And he says to these particular New Covenant Hebrews. He tells them the good things that you really want, the things you want to enter into, was both the promised physical safety of the escape at the end of the age and the promised spiritual rest. Many of them hadn't entered into the rest 
part. <laughs> they were believing in Jesus and still cheating on him with Moses. <laughs> still taking those lambs because they just wanted to make sure they weren't fully convinced that Jesus was enough. So the author continues to warn his New Covenant Hebrew readers that they need to be careful not to fall into the same kind of unbelief that the Old Covenant Hebrews fell into. Because the Old Covenant Hebrews just simply refused. And that's the point. They refused to mix faith with what God had said to them. And we can see this in verse 2 of the same chapter. For indeed the gospel, not the gospel of Jesus, but the gospel was salvation by grace through faith. The land of grace was for you. <laughs> All you got to do is believe <laughs> and act on it. <laughs> that was the gospel that they heard. For indeed the gospel was free to us as well as to them. But the word which they heard did not profit them, not being mixed with faith in those who heard it. So we can see that we choose to listen. We choose to embrace truth as truth. The gospel they heard was the gospel of the land of grace, where everything was theirs. And all they needed to do to apprehend it was to believe the word of the Lord and then act on the word of the Lord in faith. Because only faith or trust in God can apprehend what grace, his absolutely free loving kindness has provided through the Lord Jesus Christ. What I want you to see in this verse is that exercising our faith begins with choosing to believe what God has said through the Holy Spirit. The Old Covenant Hebrews failed to choose to believe. They absolutely refused. <laughs> no, I won't do it. <laughs> they also chose to forget all the wonderful things that God had done for them. And they also refused to consider how God had been so faithful and so good to them in that he was still with them in his power and presence. Even though Moses told them that God himself would be with them and that he, in his power and in his presence, would take them safely into their land of promise, they chose instead to continue to look at themselves and their own ability to conquer their giants. They needed to confidently look unto Yahweh, their covenant partner, the author and finisher of their faith. And just like the old covenant Hebrews, the new covenant Hebrews had come to a crossroads, very much like their forefathers. They too needed to forget about Moses. And <laughs> the old covenant, Moses died. He wasn't going in, but in order to go forward, they had to forget about Moses. <laughs> Guess what we need to do? Guess what they needed to do? We need to forget about Moses. <laughs> and to put our faith in God's newly ordained replacement. They needed to choose to believe only in Jesus as their new covenant, Joshua. The writer of Hebrews is still attempting to reveal to his readers that Jesus is way better than even all of the Old Covenant system, including all of the God-ordained leaders and prophets under the Old Covenant. This was just like what happened to the Old Covenant Hebrews. God ordained a new leader to speak for him and to lead his people into their God-ordained destiny. And in the same way, God gave them a new covenant, Joshua. And of course, in the Greek, the name Joshua is the name Jesus. Even in the old King James, it actually says Jesus there instead of Joshua. The point was, there was an old covenant Jesus, and there was a new covenant Jesus. This made perfect sense to them. Readers today go, what? 
<laughs> but that was the point. I mean, God couldn't get any more obvious than that. <laughs> Old Covenant Jesus and New Covenant Jesus. Old Covenant Joshua, New Covenant Joshua. It is the same name. <laughs> he made it really easy for them. <laughs> and his point, the reader's point, is that only, only the New Covenant Jesus, who is also the Son of God, could actually take them safely through their land of giants, which was to take them safely through the Roman and the Jewish persecution, and then at just the right time, provide the safe escape into the mountainous city of Pella, which is where the majority of believing Hebrew Christians ended up <laughs> just prior to the destruction of Jerusalem. And the author is also reminding them that only their new covenant, Jesus, could actually lead them into spiritually living in the promised land of the new covenant of grace, which is the only place where they could find real rest, real rest from all of their works, real rest from working hard and trying to be right with God. And we can see this in chapter 4, beginning with verse 7. He again marks out a certain day, saying in David, today, today is the day of salvation. Today, after such a long time, even as it is said, today, if you will, hear his voice and harden not your heart. For if the old covenant Joshua had given them the rest he was referring to, he would not afterward have spoken of yet another day. So there remains a rest for the people of God. There remains a promised land of grace. For everything for life and godliness has already been provided freely, but is only apprehended by faith by believing the word of God and responding to the word of God. For he who has entered into his rest, God's rest, which is the new covenant of grace through faith in Jesus, has also ceased from his own works, as God did from his. Again, we can rest in Christ because our Father has finished the work of making us into holy and righteous new creations. We are a done deal. <laughs> we look at ourselves in the mirror and we go, oh, you could use some work. <laughs> and Jesus says, no, you can't improve you. You are perfect in your spirit. You are a brand new creation and you look just like me. You can't get any better. <laughs> Not on the inside. We cannot make ourselves more holy or more righteous because it's Jesus's holiness and Jesus's righteousness that we have. So, but he does call us instead to learn to live according to our new creation reality, empowered by the Holy Spirit and the word of God. Most Christians don't even know what they are. <laughs> they think they're still sinners trying to become right. And that is a hamster wheel that you can never get off because you will always fail in your performance on some level. And if you think you are what you do, you will always see yourself as a failure. But in Christ, we already have the complete victory. The complete victory. And we're just learning to take who and what we are and work it out on the outside where other people can see it. <laughs> Verse 11. Therefore, let us labor to enter into that rest, lest anyone fall after the same example of unbelief. This new covenant rest is a rest apprehended by faith. And that is what the new covenant Hebrews needed to remember. They needed to stay <laughs> in faith in Jesus regarding God's word to them 
for both their physical and their spiritual salvation. You see, they were at the point where they can say, well, okay, I believe Jesus is enough. I'm going to quit taking lambs. But I'm really scared we're going to die. <laughs> so we're just going to go back into Judaism. <laughs> they could have Jesus and still live in disobedience. I could stay in the nursery <laughs> in disobedience. And God saw me the same, whether I was in the nursery or in the uh, sanctuary. I wasn't fooling anybody but myself. <laughs> <laughs> so they needed to be able to wait to stay in faith no matter how scary it got and wait for the sign that God said would come that when the whole place was surrounded by armies he would provide this amazing escape and of course he did but they didn't know when it was coming it's easier to believe God when you know when it's coming <laughs> when you don't know when it's coming waiting can be hard because unbelief will attack you left and right. Your emotions will run rampant with fear. And the only way to get rid of the fear is to get back over into faith, which is trusting God and his word to us and for them to trust in God's word to them specifically. So while they were waiting, the natural realm began speaking very loudly to them because of the persecution that they were suffering. And it was causing them to have natural unbelief, which is unbelief caused by what we experience in the natural realm. It happens to absolutely everybody. Because we are flesh creatures, <laughs> everything in the flesh affects us. And so it's that flesh stuff that we have to turn it off and say, no, I mean, I see Jesus. <laughs> I'm only looking at Jesus. I'm not looking at that. And it's true. Because faith comes from looking at Jesus. Faith doesn't come by looking to see if God is working. Because God is always working. So this kind of unbelief was driving them to try to save themselves from all the different kinds of persecution. And so they were going to go back into Judaism. They were persecuted by both the Romans and the unbelieving Hebrews. They had two kinds of governments to contend with. <laughs> Bad government. <laughs> So anyway, they were trying to go back into Judaism because that seemed like the most logical solution. Because I already know God the Father. So if I just pretend Jesus doesn't exist for a little while, <laughs> I can save my own skin. <laughs> and that's what they were trying to come to terms with. It. Could they really do that? Could they really deny Jesus and go back into Judaism? And would God be okay with that? No, God would not be okay with that. <laughs> they could do it, but they would end up dead. <laughs> Which is one of the reasons God didn't want them to do it. It's one thing to live in the nursery all your life. <laughs> it's another to die, you know. <laughs> and that's what, that was their disobedience was, if you persist in this disobedience, you won't get what you really want. You're going to die. Don't do it. <laughs> so God was trying to get them to believe that he really could keep them safe long enough to get them all the way out of Jerusalem. <laughs> but they had to believe. Now, unbelief can be really powerful in the life of a believer, just like it was for the New Covenant Hebrews, which is why the author implores them to labor to enter into the rest of faith for both their physical salvation and their spiritual salvation. Their hearts needed to be able to rest in God's word to them, both about their right standing with him as believers in Jesus and about the promised great escape at the end of the age.
The Greek word for labor, according to the Strong's Concordance, is spouzadzo, and it means to use speed, that is, to make effort, to be prompt or earnest, to do or give diligence, to be diligent forward, to endeavor, to labor, to study. The root words said speed study, <laughs> or to study with haste, urgency, and diligence. So, <laughs> to speed study simply means to set our mind on a specific subject and to give it our full attention with haste, urgency, and or diligence. And there's a reason he used this with the New Covenant Hebrews. The New Covenant Hebrews were running out of time. <laughs> <laughs> they didn't have forever to make this decision. <laughs> so they needed a word from God now. <laughs> so he said, yes, you need to be speed studiers. Studiers quickly, urgency, with diligence. Put your whole heart and effort into it. <laughs> because of the persecution, they were becoming wobbly in their faith. And they needed a word from God. And God does not mind if you need a word. The first thing this morning, when I got up, I said, God, I need a word. I'm doing the same scriptures I did last time I ministered. God, I need a word. <laughs> I've spent like 40-some hours making this message, but God, I still need a word. <laughs> Why? Why do I need a word? So my heart can rest. He doesn't mind telling us the same thing over and over and over. He doesn't mind if I come to church and Mary has the perfect song. He doesn't mind a bit. <laughs> he likes it. My heart, in order to rest completely. See, I was just fine yesterday, but then I woke up this morning and I thought, really, God? <laughs> you let me do the same scriptures, really? <laughs> I know this is what you want, but I don't understand it, so... <laughs> okay gives me a word. My heart can rest. And the New Covenant Hebrews there needed another word, another confirmation. No, this is real. No, this is true. This is going to come to pass. I need God to tell me over and over and over again what is true, because everything on the outside lies to me. It tells me something different than what God tells me. So that's why I have to go to my Jesus and say, you need to talk to me. <laughs> And he's like, you're right, I do. <laughs> so, what was the subject that the author had repeatedly pointed out to them over and over and over again? Today, if you will, hear the voice of God. How many times did he say that? Today, if you will, hear the voice of God. What is it that you need every single day? Today, if you will, hear the voice of God. And the truth is, we do. We don't always recognize we do. But he is a talking and a confirming God. So hearing God's word and paying attention to God's word is what the author keeps bringing over and over back to them. Pay attention and believe. And that makes perfect sense in the light of Romans 10, 17, which says, so faith, trust in God, <laughs> being persuaded in our heart so that we can rest, comes from or is activated by hearing and hearing through the word, the spoken word of Christ. The word comes isn't actually in the Greek. 
so I can change it. <laughs> it's not actually there. <laughs> There's no word there for come. It's just added for understanding. For years, I thought faith came from someplace else. <laughs> it's out there or somewhere. If I work really hard and I memorize my scriptures, faith will come to me. No. <laughs> it doesn't work. <laughs> because it's in us. We already have it. But it needs to be activated. And what is it activated by? The spoken word of Christ. King James and most translations will say, spoken word of God. But the best and oldest use the word Christ because this verse is in a passage about being righteous by faith. It wasn't about the spoken word of God from way back then, or the written word of God. Because usually, even when Jesus said, you live by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God, everyone will tell you that those are the scriptures. But that refers to the spoken word. It refers to God speaking by his spirit. His favorite way to do that is the scriptures. <laughs> because we have to be able to go to the scriptures and say, yes, this is what I heard. Yes, I am hearing correctly. But as far as it convincing our heart, we have to hear by the Spirit. We have to hear about Christ, about his finished works, and hear from him to ourselves about our situation. We already have faith. That's really important to understand because I spent years and years and years trying to make more faith. <laughs> because if you have great faith, well then, hey, Peter had great faith. He walked on water. If I learn enough scripture, I'll have great faith. Nope. <laughs> we already have great faith. All of our faith is great. It just needs to be activated. I want to prove to you that you already have faith. Uh, Ephesians 2, verse 8. For by grace ye are saved through faith. And that, none of yourselves, it is the gift of God. Three verses before this, the Apostle Paul couldn't wait to tell them, you're saved by grace! He says the exact same thing, you're saved by grace! And then a couple of verses later, he's like, oh, well, I probably should tell you how. <laughs> by faith. And that, the faith, is not of you. You can't make faith. <laughs> faith is a gift. He gives it to us. But we're responsible to put ourselves in a place where it can be activated. That we can hear God speaking to us so that our faith is activated. He says the same thing over in Romans 12, 3. The Apostle Paul says the same kind of thing. For I say, through the grace given unto me, to every man that is among you, not to think more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly, according as God hath dealt to every man the measure of faith. Now, he's talking about the gifts of the Spirit and operating in faith according to our particular gifts. But that was his point. If you think because you think your gift is better, <laughs> that you have greater faith, think again. That's why he said, don't think of yourself more highly than someone else. Well, you got your faith to work today, but this person didn't. Well, I have more faith. See, it all goes back to self instead of going back to Christ. It's all about what Christ has given to us and what Christ activates in us. And then over in Galatians, the Apostle Paul tells us that faith is one of the fruit of the Spirit. Again, it's all of God. It's all of God working in us to activate our faith. So 
We don't actually lack faith. We just need our faith to be activated. And according to the scripture, it is activated by the spoken or rhema word of Christ. And the best manuscripts have the word of Christ because we're talking about new covenant. So we have to hear about new covenant in order to believe new covenant. <laughs> and we can also understand this in a personal way as well. I'm so glad I was a word of faith girl. Because in my little holiness church, they basically knew nothing about faith. You prayed and you crossed your fingers. Maybe he'll hear you. <laughs> Are you deserving? Have you been holy enough? <laughs> they didn't know nothing. So God led me to the word of faith. And it was like, oh, oh, you can believe God on purpose? <laughs> what? I can have faith on purpose? What? <laughs> and I learned a whole lot about trusting God and knowing that he speaks to me and that when he speaks to me, he activates my faith. Because the New Covenant Hebrews were having such a hard time with unbelief, it was so important for them to understand that they could, while in the midst of terror all around, actually find rest. Rest in their faith in God's goodness and God's ability to take care of them. And it had to come not just from the scripture. And that's the point. It has to be that personal relationship. I have to know that I'm hearing God. I have to know that God is speaking to me. I have to be sure in my heart. That's not something I actually do. It's something he does in me. He's the one that bears witness, that says, you're hearing me just fine. <laughs> Need another confirmation? Need another scripture? <laughs> He's happy to do that. <laughs> they needed to learn that. Way back when I was a baby, baby Christian, and I didn't know anything, <laughs> I had learned through the word of faith that one word from God can literally change your life. One word from God can even save a life. It's about you hearing God. Now this is important because years ago, a million years ago, when I was a young mother with two small children, my husband at that time, who's now in heaven, had difficulty staying employed. <laughs> and so I figured that someone in the household should probably work. <laughs> so I had planned to go back to work. <laughs> when suddenly I found out that I was unexpectedly pregnant with our third child. And I wasn't happy about it. I had plans. <laughs> I wanted food on the table and clothes on the children. I'm going to go out and get it. I'm going to save us. <laughs> and so I was mad at God. <laughs> God, what were you thinking? I need to go to work, God. <laughs> I don't need another mouth to feed. God, what are you doing? <laughs> and God, in his goodness and grace, answered my complaint with a story. He brought me a book about a missionary family in a third world country, a whole family, who unexpectedly also became pregnant and who thought, God, what are you doing? We live in the middle of nowhere. <laughs> Obviously, you don't know what you're doing here, God. <laughs> um, but they decided to rejoice in the fact that of their surprised child, and they simply made plans to leave the mission field early, just before she was due to deliver, because there were no medical facilities near where they lived. But the baby decided to come early. <laughs> so they unexpectedly 
and quickly had to pack up everything they had and all of their children and go to the nearest medical facility that they could find, which is a day or so away. And while they were gone, a neighboring tribe, this is out in the middle of nowhere, a neighboring tribe decided that they were mad. And they attacked their village and killed everybody in it and destroyed everything that was there. Not one person was left alive. And the mom who wrote this story said that God knew there was only one reason and one reason only that they would ever leave that village. The birth of a child. Turns out God knew what he was doing. <laughs> the birth of that child saved that entire family. God knew what he was doing. So I was like, okay, God. <laughs> you must know what you're doing. <laughs> it was because of that story that I relented of my complaint and decided to simply to continue to trust God to take care of us. But, of course, Satan hates it when you trust God. So he came along with a big, scary lie. He told me because I wasn't initially happy about being pregnant, that my baby would be deformed. He told me that God would punish me for my lack of faith by causing my baby to be born with a deformity. Now, I didn't know much back then. <laughs> I only knew what my little church taught me, which wasn't much. <laughs> so I asked the people at my church, would God punish my child by trying to punish me? Is that who God is? They didn't know the answer. Maybe. Maybe not. Oh, God's pretty scary. <laughs> so I found that I needed to be a speedy studier. <laughs> I only had a certain amount of time <laughs> before this baby would come. <laughs> and so that is what I did. I went to the Word. God, is that who you are? I've heard this kind of things from other people that, that this is who you are. You go around punishing people for not believing in you. Is that who you are? And God, is it true? Will my baby be born deformed because I had unbelief? So he started giving me scriptures about how good he was. <laughs> Thinking, this is not helping. <laughs> I didn't know. <laughs> but finally, because I was the speedy studier, and I was like, you have to. I have to have rest. I can't live this way. You have to talk to me. And he did. He said, I would bring my baby home from the hospital, perfectly normal, three days after he was born. Cool. <laughs> and so when Satan would come and say, no, God's going to punish you. Baby's going to be born deformed. I could say, no, my God says. I'm taking my baby home from the hospitals three days after he was born, perfectly normal. And I had to fight the unbelief. And the better I got at it, <laughs> the less Satan came around. <laughs> but he was preparing me so that my heart would be completely persuaded with his promise that he was going to bring to pass what he said. Then the day came when my youngest son was born. And there was something wrong. 
They whisked him away rather quickly because he was having difficulty breathing. They put him in an incubator, and they called in the specialists, and they took something like 62 x-rays over the course of two days. The doctor said that they couldn't exactly tell what the problem was, but it looked like his lungs were inside out on the inside of them. Now, I was scheduled <laughs> to have my tubes tied the next morning. Didn't mind any more surprises. <laughs> so the doctor came to, to see me to tell me that they could not make me any promises about my son so that I might want to reconsider having the surgery. I remember being tempted to be afraid for just a moment. I just simply said, Lord. <laughs> and he said, you will take your baby home from the hospital perfectly normal after three days. And my heart was at rest. And then I could act on that promise. Nope, we're going ahead with, this, with, the, with the operation. And I remember that weird, strange piece. It's like, this is, a, this is odd. <laughs> I had never experienced that before. And so my brain's like, no, you need to be worried. No, you need to get your scriptures out. No, you need to be upset. My brain was just trying to run amok with unbelief. But I had this rest. I knew what I knew. God had persuaded my heart. I didn't persuade my heart. God had persuaded my heart over and over and over and over with the same promise. So when the objection came, no, I know in whom I have believed, and he is well able to bring his will to pass. So, guess what? Three days later, I took my baby home from the hospital, perfectly normal. The doctors just shrugged their shoulders at me. Uh, we, really, um, uh, we don't really know how this happened, but he seems to be fine now. <laughs> That's okay. I know what happened. My God. My God did this. Now, I tell you these stories to show you that sometimes it really does take diligent effort <laughs> to find and receive the word of God to us for our situations. But it's worth it. And the truth is, God has all kinds of ways of getting his truth to us. If we will keep our ears open to hear him, no matter what we're doing, I hear you, Lord. I hear you. He will talk to you through a song. He will talk to you through a book. He will talk to you through a testimony. He will talk to you through your, your, through your parents. He will talk to you through unexpected people. He will talk to you if you will have your ears open. He wants us to recognize he's always talking. And he's always saying good things. <laughs> it was God who brought me that little missionary book at just the right time. He's really impeccable with timing. And it was God who helped me find the truth of his goodness and faithfulness through the scriptures so that I could believe that he was talking to me. And it's all because he is so good. He is so good. Because he is so good. I didn't fall according to the same example of unbelief like the old covenant Hebrews did. God had prepared and persuaded my heart over and over again and again with his word so that when I got right up to the edge of my promised land of grace, his word to me persuaded my heart so that I could act on his word and enter into the fulfillment of his word. 
Again, Hebrews 4.11. Therefore, let us labor <laughs> to enter into that rest, that rest of faith, lest anyone fall after the same example of unbelief. This rest of faith comes or is activated by hearing the voice of the living God and letting God reveal the truth of who he really is because he doesn't go around hurting babies <laughs> and what he really wants for us and what he really wants our hearts to know, the truth. He is the one that persuades us. It is the truth of God that overcomes unbelief. But unbelief can be stubborn. <laughs> so we have to be diligent studiers of God himself and active listeners to his word to us. And in Hebrews 4.12, the author describes the word of God to us. It says, For the word of God is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing apart of soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It is a, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. Now, many scholars believe this refers to the written word of God. <laughs> it, it could. <laughs> I don't negate that, but it's obviously this is living and powerful, and the words printed on a page are not. It is the Holy Spirit that brings life out of the Word. It is the ministry of the Holy Spirit. It isn't the Word itself, so to speak. It is the truth. <laughs> it is the truth that the Holy Spirit confirms in our heart. So when God speaks to us, He speaks to us by the power of the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit brings forth the life and truth that's found in God's written word. He does the work in us. We just have to be available. We've got to do the listening as far as the reading part goes. But he's the one that brings the truth and speaks the truth to us. It's all about him. Now, what I think I see here is that God is able to speak to us so that we can discern what is of God and what is not of God. Our soul, mind, will, and emotions... We have a flesh head. When I was pregnant, my flesh head was running amok. Your baby's going to die. It's bad, 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 bad stuff. No faith in all that bad stuff. Where was that coming from? My flesh head. <laughs> that would be what we call soulish. But what was my spirit saying? I'm bringing my baby home in three days from the hospital, perfectly normal. You have to quiet down the flesh head stuff. And we do that by God speaking to us. Unbelief leaves when God brings the truth. And we see this also in uh, John chapter 6, verse 63. In the King James, it is the spirit that quickeneth. The flesh head profiteth nothing. <laughs> the words I speak to you, they are spirit and they are life. This was Jesus' response to those who were offended when they heard him say that they needed to eat his flesh and drink his blood. He is basically telling them that they were interpreting him too literally through their carnal, fleshy mind, which only produced unbelief. <laughs> Instead of interpreting his words spiritually through the Spirit, through the power of the Holy Spirit, which would then have actually activated their faith. And so it is with the Spirit of God within us. He discerns our thoughts and the intents of our heart. And it is the truth of God's word that divides and separates what is of the soulish, natural man and that which is of the spirit. So Jesus speaks to us by the spirit through the written word. That is his very favorite way to do it. <laughs> and the spoken rhema word of God directly to us. 
those two things always work together in order to bring us into our promised land of faith, rest. But we haven't yet entered into the rest of faith in a certain area of our life. We need only, only to become diligent studiers of God and his written word. And the Spirit will speak to our hearts and persuade them to believe and trust God, to trust his word to us, so that we can get rid of the unbelief. <laughs> That's what God was, did for me. His word to me, his promise to me, enabled me to, to let go of the unbelief, to pay no attention to the, the natural thinking, and to only let my heart be persuaded by what he was saying. And it is a matter of being fully persuaded. Because I was persuaded one day, and then Satan came along and unpersuaded me. <laughs> and Jesus, he would persuade me again. And then well, time would go by, and Satan come along, he started speaking lies. I become unpersuaded. And I have, okay, that was Peter. That was Peter on the water. He got out of the boat and walked on water. He had great faith for a little bit. <laughs> Satan came along and said, well, you, you can't do this. You can't walk on water. What do you think you're doing? Starts falling down. <laughs> he needed to be re-persuaded. <laughs> this is normal. This is normal. <laughs> and our Father is very, very happy to persuade us over and over again of the same things. And he's happy to persuade us of new things as well. He's happy to persuade us that we can do all things through Christ. He's happy to persuade us that we can lay hands on the sick and they will go. He can persuade a heart so that when we lay hands on somebody, we know what our Father has said. You lay hands on them, I will heal them. <laughs> now verse 13 sounds a little bit scary. Neither is there any creature that is not manifest in his sight, but all things are naked and open to the eyes of him with whom we have to do. That sounds pretty scary. Because nobody wants to feel or look naked. <laughs> nobody wants to feel exposed. But the truth is, a believer is never naked, spiritually speaking. We are clothed in the righteousness of God himself. But if our hearts are not fully persuaded of this truth, we can feel naked and exposed. You will sit all that time in the nursery for no good reason. <laughs> but his real point is that God knows us. He knows us completely, so there's no reason to try to hide from him, not in the nursery or anywhere else. <laughs> if our hearts are not fully persuaded in a certain area, then we simply need to become speedy studiers, voraciously seeking to hear the voice and truth of God for ourselves, because our faith becomes activated by hearing Christ speak the truth to us. Also, hearing the truth of Christ spoken. Some of my favorite Bible verses in the Bible, the whole Bible, uh, is, are found in Jeremiah 29, 11-14. Here Jeremiah prophesies to Israel regarding God's heart towards them, even while they were being sent into Babylon because of their unbelief. They got sent to the nursery. <laughs> they were naughty children sent to a divine timeout. But he says this to them. I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you a hope in the future. Then you will call on me and come and pray to me, and I will listen to you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. I will be found by you, declares the Lord. I love that. I will be found by you. How does he know? Because <laughs> he
she's gonna make us find him. <laughs> he's gonna he's gonna make us find him. We can't hide from him. You can't go to the nursery and think you're really hiding from God. <laughs> he's like, I will make you find me. <laughs> I will make you hear me. <laughs> if you just glance in my direction, I'll make you hear me. <laughs> Why? Because he wants us to find him and hear him and hear what he says, wants to say to our hearts. Our God wants us to hear him. He wants us to know his heart for us. His heart even for his naughty children who were in Babylon. <laughs> they were still his children. And he still loved them. He still only wanted good for them. He wasn't going to punish them in any sort of way. That He took care of them the whole time. How was that punishment? <laughs> God wants us to let him persuade our hearts of his truth by hearing him speak the truth to us over and over and over again. So the author of Hebrew points his readers to the person of Christ as the word of God who knows everything and then to his function as the high priest. Verse 14. Having therefore a great high priest who has passed into the heavens, Jesus the Son of God, we should hold fast the confession of our faith. My baby will come home three days after he's born, perfectly normal. Hold fast to our confession of faith. It is through our great high priest that we are given complete access to God the Father. That's what's so different about this new covenant. In Christ, we walk directly into the very throne room of heaven, and we are welcomed there. And what do we do when we get there? We talk to him. <laughs> That's why we go there. <laughs> and why do we talk to him? Because we want him to talk to us. We want him to persuade our heart. We want to hear what his plans are for us, the good things that he has for us. He, we want him to persuade our hearts of how good and how wonderful he is and how, what we can have, what we can believe, what we can receive. Under the old covenant, the high priest was the only one who could seek direction from God on behalf of the people. He was the only one. But in Christ, everybody gets to go into the throne room. <laughs> it's a good thing we don't have to take turns. It's crowded in there. Everybody gets to come. <laughs> we get to come and hear the truth directly from our Father through the Holy Spirit. And we can see the same truth in Romans chapter 5, verses 1 and 2. It's talking about how wonderful Christ is. And it says, therefore, <laughs> therefore, since we have been justified by faith, since we have been declared innocent and pure and acceptable through faith, we have obtained, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him, we have obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. And we rejoice in hope, the confident expectation of good. We rejoice in hope of the glory. The glory isn't just God's splendor. The glory is the manifested splendor of God in us. <laughs> we rejoice in the hope, the expectation of the glory of God in us being manifested <laughs> so other people can see God. <laughs> in other words, we expect God to reveal himself to us and in us and through us and to speak to us in such a way as to persuade our hearts to fully trust in his word, 
so that we can enter into his rest of faith. Because he does just that, we can hold fast the confession of our faith. Our faith in Christ and his finished work on the cross and his work of presenting us to the Father continuously, righteous and holy sons, standing in God's absolutely free, loving kindness and acceptance. The writer doesn't say, what do you tell those, those wobbling new covenant believers that are in faith and, and in unbelief and they're running amok and they don't know how to hear God for themselves? What do you tell those people? <laughs> do you tell them they need to repent of their sins? Do you tell them they need, that they should be condemned as unworthy? They, 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 don't, they shouldn't even go try to see and hear God? What do you tell those people? You know what I was told? God's mad. You failed. You mad, he's mad at you now. You better just wait until he cools off. <laughs> standing in grace. What do we need to do? Believe. Believe that no matter what, I am righteous and holy and acceptable and my Father is pleased with me. I need to hold fast my confession of faith. I know in who I have believed. I know his voice. And I know that, that even if I'm blowing it somewhere in my life, my Jesus is the answer. I'm not the answer. Jesus is my answer. He will speak to me and he will persuade my heart to do things his way. So he tells them, hold fast to your confession. Hold on tight to who Jesus really is. Hold on tight to the finished work of Christ. Hold on tight. They needed to become speedy studiers of who Jesus was and is. They needed to hear and they needed to hear and they needed to hear and they needed to hear the truth of Christ and the truth from Christ. Verse 15. For we do not have a high priest who cannot empathize with our weaknesses, but one who was tempted in all things according to the likeness of his own temptations. Yet he was without sin. Jesus, as a human being, knew and understood human weakness. In other words, he was tempted like any ordinary man on earth. He was completely an ordinary man. <laughs> but he never gave in to sin. And because he never gave in to sin, he was qualified or made acceptable to become both our substitute sacrifice and our great high priest. Jesus was the sinless lamb, and he was and is our sinless high priest. Jesus is the only human, the only human being qualified to represent all of mankind before the Father. And he did it, and he does it perfectly. There was nothing in Christ to hinder our having completely free access to God through him. Because as he is at the right hand of the Father, so are we in this world. That's mind-blowing. <laughs> I am, in my spirit, just like Jesus. And the New Covenant Hebrews understood that if a high priest was acceptable to God, then they were too. And because Jesus was perfectly acceptable to the Father, so are we. And that knowledge should produce boldness in us to approach the throne of God. Verse 16. We should, because, of, because we know that this is who Jesus is, we should therefore come with boldness. One version says, come boldly. <laughs> come with boldness into the throne of grace. We may receive grace, receive mercy, and find grace in time of need. This word boldness means come in with complete assurance. I'm going to go ask Dad for 10 bucks. Uh, is he going to give it to you? Yeah. How do you know? Because he loves me. <laughs> he told me that if I ever needed anything, I could just come and ask him, and he would, guess he would say yes, no matter what it is, if it's 10 bucks or a million bucks. 
<laughs> I think I might ask for a million bucks a little more often. <laughs> the point is, he says, because we know who, how perfect Jesus is, and he is perfectly acceptable, and we're in him, we can go to God boldly and say, talk to me. I need to hear from you. I need to hear from you now, because I don't have that much time. <laughs> I need to know what you want and what you have, and I need to know you. <laughs> it's, it's being absolutely sure that we are going to get the answers we need, the directions we need, and the truth we need. Because in Christ, everything we need for life and godliness has already been granted to us through the knowledge of Christ and through his exceeding great and precious promises. Which means you can only get them by faith. <laughs> All of this is extended to us by God's grace. So when we come to God in prayer, we should expect to receive his mercy, which is his compassionate, tender love in action, that answers our pain and suffering. How? How does, he, how does he minister to us when we come to him with that pain and that suffering? What is he going to do? He's going to talk to us. <laughs> he's going to tell you it's going to be okay. He's going to tell you you can trust me. He tell me he's going to tell you you're going to get through this. He'll talk to you. Why? So your heart can be at rest. His word will activate our faith, whereby we will apprehend whatever grace we need. <laughs> all the grace has already been provided. All the supplies have already been provided. We have his divine enablement within us. He activates our faith and we can walk on water because it's him who persuades us. So guess what happens? What's, the, what's the, the main thing that happens when we come to the throne of grace? God himself talks to us. He persuades our hearts to trust him. And when we trust him, we step out of the boat and walk on water because it's his word to us that persuades our heart, that enables us to do what we hear him say. Peter didn't get out of the boat until Jesus first spoke to him. And in fact, it wasn't even Jesus' idea. <laughs> Peter's like, that looks like fun. Can I do that too? And Jesus said, sure, come on. <laughs> but Peter knew he couldn't get out of the water without a word. You can get out of the boat without a word. When we hear Jesus speak, it activates our faith. And then Peter's faith apprehended miraculous power. And Peter walked on the water. And so just like Peter, in our times of need, what we really need is a word from God. Sometimes it's a promise. Sometimes it's a word that confirms a truth that we already heard in God's word, or we read that day, or we heard a song on the radio, and God says, yes, this is me, this is me, this is me, this is me, this is me. <laughs> he never gets tired of saying, this is me. It's me talking to you. It's me. Let me persuade your heart. God uses his word in a variety of ways to fully persuade our hearts so that we can trust him and his word to us. And that's when our faith receives that which we need from God's grace. The word translated as help in this last verse literally refers to a chain or a rope that is tied around the hull of a ship to keep it from falling apart. It's called frapping. Frapping the boat. <laughs> Back in those days, if they were in a bad storm and the boat started to come apart, they would take a rope or a chain and tie it around <laughs> to make sure it would stay together. That's what help is. God wrapping us and keeping us together with him. God's word gets his spirit and our spirit in alignment and in sync. So no matter what happens in our world, we don't fall apart. 
because we know in whom we have believed. And we know he is well able. We know that all of the promises of God are yes and amen. He is the one that speaks that word that wraps us up and brings us close to him and reassures us he's got us. He's got us. He is the answer to every need. And the reality of it to be so real to us that we get so used to hearing him that we don't have to hear him 12 times. <laughs> before we get out of the boat. <laughs> that he just speaks to us and our heart goes, oh, that's right. I knew that. And we just rest in him and trust in him and act on his word, however he needs us to act on that word. For Peter, it was getting out of the boat. For me, it was having an operation. There will always be a, a temptation to come along and talk us out of what God has promised us. But we have to go back. What did he say to me? What do I know is true? His word is true. And my heart is at rest. Amen. Father God, we thank you for the truth of your word. That yes, you love to speak to us through the word. But you speak in a, in a thousand different ways. You speak through songs on the radio. And you speak through stories in books and, and people on TV. And you're always at work trying to get us to hear your voice always getting to reassure our hearts that we are hearing you, that we are following you in the right direction, that we are doing the things that you call us to. We thank you, Father God, that you've done all the work, all of the work, all the work of salvation. You even give us the faith that we need to use. <laughs> you are the one that's, that, that does it all. <laughs> we thank you that you do it all, Father God. And we thank you, Father God, for the opportunity to cooperate, to cooperate with you. Father God, we ask that you show yourself big and strong and powerful and mighty and tender and kind and, and all the good things that you are through us to others. In Jesus' name, amen.